0: Welcome back to Dear Lesfera. My name's Lesfera Lindenbar, and if this is your first time tuning in, on this show I give advice to any folks and creatures who may need it. So, last episode ended a bit chaotically. Sorry about that. If you'll remember, I accidentally read a portion of my best friend Raedra's unreleased play that was not ready for public consumption, and that was on me for not reading it in advance. She was mad at me for a bit, but we called a truce to deal with the whole Cupid's Fly situation. Oh, for those of you not in or around the Towering Forest, who might have missed the news, we had a bit of an exciting past week. So, the end of frostile season in the Towering Forest is usually marked by the annual Cupid's fly flight, which entomologists always keep a careful eye on. They're tracked so closely because the Cupid's fly, when it reaches maturity, releases a uh, powder from its wings that, when in flight, causes people to act super lovey-dovey. Obviously, that's not the most scientific explanation of how the magic works, it has something to do with the contents of the powder and dopamine in the brain, but essentially, it turns people into… love zombies. So every year, when the cupid's flies start to hatch from their eggs and fly north through the cupid's fly field, everyone in the towering forest hunkers down for about five days until they've all left the forest. And usually we get advanced warning for when this is going to happen. But for some reason, this year, the cupid's flies hatched way earlier than they ever had before. And no one saw it coming. I was in the market when suddenly people just started running past me. At first, I thought they were just heading for the Pellery pie shop booth. Sometimes Pellery finds fire berries while foraging, which are pretty rare. So fire pies are a hot commodity. So I was debating trying to brave the crowd and get a fire pie myself when I heard someone yell, Cupid's Flies! I thought it was just a prank because, like I said, we never get Cupid's Flies this early. But sure enough, I looked up and spotted a couple of those little buggers flapping around over the market tents. So now I'm running because, like, it's not the end of the world if you get Cupid's Flu. They just spray you with this potion and you're good as new. But I've got things to do and I don't really feel like wandering around trying to hug everyone in reach. Physical touch isn't even one of my love languages. So I ran. Raidra's house is closer than mine to the market, and I kept seeing more cupid's flies every minute, so I ran to her house. And I swear, I'm not exaggerating for the story, one of the cupid's flies was literally following me, right on my tail. I got to Rhaedra's and I dove through the door, slamming it shut right before the cupid's fly could follow me inside. At first, Raidra didn't want to come downstairs to talk to me, so I just hung out with her aunt for a while. But eventually, she came downstairs and offered to walk me home with an umbrella. And we were kind of just walking in silence when, and I don't know if this was the same one or not, a cupid's fly started following me again. But thankfully, Rager brought her slingshot with her, and I held the umbrella while she took aim and shot pebbles at it. Not enough to injure, but enough to scare it off. After that, I apologized for the 500th time, and she said she forgave me. I think she was feeling proud about hitting that cupid's fly, so luckily for me, that put her in a good enough mood to choose forgiveness. Anyway, the cupid's flies have all flown off to the fields now. We had a lot more cases of Cupid's flu than usual, but everyone was given the potion and came out of it unharmed. If not, unhugged. A lot of hugging went down. A lot. I actually think our station manager, Reuven, might have- Hey, Reuven? Did you catch Cupid's flu? You did! How many people did you hug before they sprayed you? Hang on, he's counting. He's still counting. Hammer's alive! Reuven, how many people did you hug? Okay, okay, never mind. (sighs) Oh, well- Thanks again, Raydra. I'm getting her a new slingshot for her birthday. Anyway, let's get the show on the road, shall we? We've got a few letters here. Let's see what they have to say. Okay, this first letter is from Candu. Candu writes, "Hello, Lisfira. I am the wizard Candu, and I am an arc cartographer. An arc cartographer? I don't think I know what that is. Hang on, I'm looking it up. Archaeologist? archer." Archer, parentheses, invisible. Art cartographer. Someone who draws or produces maps, specifically of the magical sort. Oh, okay. So, a uh, magical map maker. Got it. <clears throat> I am an art cartographer. That's just a fancy way of saying that I'm a magical map maker. Oh, could have just kept reading. Well, it's good to air out the resource books every once in a while. I regret nothing. Continuing. In older days, before the great dragon migration to Grevlon, cartographers would use the phrase here be dragons to denote an area of land yet to be explored. Poor grammar aside, the phrase itself was a bit counterproductive, for multiple reasons. For one, most explorers weren't very keen on traveling into unknown dragon locales, so that bit of false advertising set cartography back several decades. And then, just as we were beginning to map out these unknown regions, dragons began arriving in Grevlon. Cartographers today are faced with a bit of a dilemma. With the existence of dragons in Grevlon, we can no longer label unknown areas with the phrase here be dragons without some people actually believing dragons live there. But we also can't label an area where dragons are known to live with that phrase because many still believe that here be dragons just means an unexplored area. Do you have any suggestions for how I can clearly express these different concepts on my map so some unfortunate traveler doesn't accidentally stumble into a dragon's lair? Thank you! Well, can do. thanks for writing in. I learned something new about cartography, and or cartography, today. I'll be honest, I always thought when a map says, here be dragons, that there were actually, definitely confirmed dragons in that area, which now makes so much sense, because I know that no one's ever traveled past the peaks of Paragor, but on every map it always says, here be dragons, and I was always like, hmm, maybe they've just seen dragons flying in that direction and just guessed, but now it makes sense. Honestly, I think a good rule of thumb for any adventurer or traveler is to, when a map says, here be dragons, just assume there are dragons there, even if it's just uncharted areas. Maybe that can be a little disclaimer you put at the bottom of the maps. But we do have two issues here, showing where the dragons are and showing unknown areas where there may or may not be dragons. Um, personally, I love when a map has little pictures So maybe you could show where there are actually dragons with pictures of dragons? And maybe have a little map key at the bottom with a picture of the dragons that just says, dragons have often been spotted in this area. For real. Bring fireproof pants. Or something like that. Ooh, and since you're a magic cartographer, it'd be really cool if the dragons could maybe fly around the map. Ooh, and maybe they could even breathe fire. Oh, ooh, maybe the fire could actually set fire to the map, and then the map burns up, and... No, that's no good. That's nothing. Okay. Yeah, no, I got carried away. Let's just stick with the pictures. And maybe they move a little. And then for the uncharted areas, maybe just write uncharted area? like a bunch of question marks. Oh, and maybe you can use your magic to make the question marks kind of like bounce around on the page. Oh, and then when the areas have been charted, the question marks can catch on fire. And nope, got carried away again. There's no need for that. But the question marks, I think I think those are good. Hope that helps. Thanks for writing in. Okay, let's do another letter. Uh, oh, this one's from my brother Lenrel. For those who don't know, my brother is a traveling handyman, so he's always trekking across Grevlon. Lenrel writes, wait, Hang on. I've learned my lesson from last time. Let me skim this first. Okay, we're clear. Lunro writes, Dear Fifi. Oh, okay. That one slipped past me. Should have caught that. No one call me that. Continuing. Hello from the hills of Longforn, where I've been forced to take a detour. It seems some of the ice from the mountains melted early this year, and the Iworn River has flooded the bridge I was planning on taking to get to Poer. I don't mind the detour. The hills are nice to travel through, just kind of hilly. A lot of walking up, then walking down. But it's good exercise. Anyway, I know you're doing an advice show, so I'll ask for my advice now. Honestly, it's less advice and more settling a disagreement. Lately, I've been traveling with a friend who's been helping me with my jobs, and we have a disagreement on good etiquette. Whenever I go into someone's house, I always take off my boots, even if they don't ask me to. My friend, however, says she always leaves her boots on unless the host asks her to remove them. Who has the better etiquette? Remember, I'm your flesh and blood, so you have to agree with me. Love, Lenroll. Okay, first of all, the whole flesh and blood thing? Not a rule. I can name many disagreements of ours, starting alphabetically. The art-farc argument. The- Oh, Reuven shaking his head at me. Maybe listing all of our disagreements isn't good radio. That's fine. I'll move on. Honestly, I don't fully agree with either of you. Sure, there are some races that tend to prefer boots off inside. Elves, halflings, eight-footed larblers. But there are others that prefer you keep them on. Ogres, for example, consider uncovered feet a very personal thing. So an ogre would probably be a bit put off if you just took your shoes off when entering their home. My advice—see, I still managed to turn this into an advice thing—would be to just ask. Simple as that. You could even just look at your host to see if they take off their footwear before entering their home and copy them. That way, no one gets insulted, and you can both claim to have the best etiquette. But you should definitely leave your boots on whenever that's an option. Probably not cool for me to say this on the radio, but your feet smell. Hope that helps. Thanks for writing in. I didn't know Lenroll was traveling with a friend. He usually works by himself. Hmm. I'm gonna write a quick letter back to Lenroll, and while I do that, we're gonna go to today's sponsor. After that, we'll return for some call-ins. If you need some advice, just tell your speaking plant you want to call Sphera at the Towering Forest radio station. Now, a word from our sponsor.
1: Honey, I'm
2: home. Oh, thank goodness. I've had such a busy day. Johnny's horns are coming in, and he's been crying nonstop. And then a fairy showed up and tried to give Johnny a gift, so I had to chase her away. I've still got a ton of laundry left. Do you think you can do the dishes?
1: Missy, I'd love to, but I had such a busy day at the office. I'm pooped. I'll be in the den.
2: Oh, bother. Stuck with too many household chores and not enough help? Yes. Need someone to lighten the load? Boy, do I. Then get yourself an invisible servant. What's that? An invisible servant is a being made of magic and air that will help you get that laundry done before you need to put the little one to bed. Incredible. They sure are. They'll cook, clean, garden, whatever chores you need them to do without tiring. An invisible servant doesn't think or feel, unless, of course, they form an attachment so strong that it breaks its magical structure and gains the ability to love. I know you don't rest or eat, but would you like to sit with me while I drink my tea? It's nice to have someone to talk to. You'll soon find an invisible servant is everything you've been missing in your life. Just don't go falling in love with them.
1: (laughs) Sweetheart, what just pushed my feet off the coffee table?
2: That's just the invisible servant, dear and they're twice the person you'll ever be.
1: What was that?
2: Nothing, dear. So pop on over to Oberdane's Enchantments and Wards and get your own personal invisible servant today. I'm going to leave my husband for my invisible servant. Yes, Missy. Yes, you are.
0: And we're back with Dear Lysphera. Despite any nicknames you may have heard in the top half of the show, my name's Lysphera. And if you're just tuning in on this show, I give advice to any folks and creatures who may need it. And if you want to call into the show, just tell your speaking plant you want to call Sphera at the Towering Forest radio station. And here's our first caller. Hello, caller. You're on the air.
3: Hi. Hello. Can you hear me?
0: Hi. Yes, I can hear you. A little staticky but...
3: Oh, okay. hey on. I'll get to higher ground. yeah! How's that?
0: Much better. What's your name?
3: Uh, my name's Nissel. Well, my full name is Vera Nissel the red flame of Fae Orissa, heir to the silver Horde, champion of dragonkind. But Nissel's fine.
0: And I'm going to take a wild guess and say you're a dragon?
3: Yeah. How do you
0: know? Distinguishable flap of your wings. So what has you calling it today, Nissel? Do you need advice?
3: Yeah. So I pretty recently tapped into my core flame for the first time, which basically means I can now start breathing fire. My mom calls me a late burner. Most other dragons at my age have been breathing fire for a few years now.
0: Well, that's okay. Exciting that you can finally do it, no matter how long it took.
3: Yeah, so uh, about that. I found out I had tapped into my core flame when I accidentally flew through a flock of Birds? I'm allergic to feathers, so I sneezed and, well, I singed a few wings, but the birds were okay. Anyway, it was the scariest moment of my life.
0: Because you almost fried the birds?
3: No, because flames! Coming out of my mouth!
0: You- oh. Are you afraid of breathing fire? Uh, yeah! Wouldn't you be? I mean, I suppose if I accidentally sneezed fire one day, I would be scared. But I'm an elf. I live in a forest. I'd imagine that would be more of a surprise for me than it was for you.
3: Well, sure. I knew it was going to happen eventually. And I'm not scared of fire. I just didn't realize what it'd be like to have fire... coming out of your mouth! It's freaky!
0: Well, maybe you can just keep it to yourself for a bit as you get used to it?
3: That was the plan. As soon as it happened, I flew straight home, covered my nose, and went through all the caverns cleaning out any feathers or anything else that might make me sneeze. But a few days ago, I was out flying with my mom, and I swear, it was the same flock of birds! I think the birds are out to get me, but that's a whole other cave of gold. Anyway, I sneezed again and my mom saw, and now she's so excited because my birthday's coming up.
0: Oh, right. Dragons light the candles on their birthday cake with their fire breathing, right?
3: Yeah. Every year my mom does it for me, but when a dragon taps into their core flame, they start doing it themselves. So now she expects me to do it on my birthday, but I don't want to do it at all.
0: Well, have you talked to your mom about this?
3: I've started to try, but she's so excited and I know what she's going to say. Varanissla Quarth, you are the red flame of Faerissa, heir to the Silver or champion of dragonkind. The fire should be afraid of you, not the other way around.
0: Hmm, okay. When's your birthday? In a week. Alright. Well, first, let me write that down so I can remember to send you a birthday card. Oh, thank you. Of course! Okay, Nissel, how are you with spicy foods?
3: Oh, I'm okay with them. I don't usually go very hot, but I can handle some heat.
0: What I suggest you do is try eating some really spicy food. That way, you can get used to the feeling of extreme heat in your mouth. I can do that. Then, while you're eating the spicy food, hold your face really close to a fire. Uh, dragons are immune to getting hurt by fire, right? I'm not telling a kid to go do something that's actually super dangerous.
3: Yeah, no, I'm good. Again, I'm really not afraid of fire at all. No reason to be. It's just the fire coming out of my mouth that gives me the heebie-jeebies.
0: Right, and I'm hoping with this technique you'll slowly get used to the sensation of having heat in your mouth and fire really close to your face.
3: Oh, okay, I see. (laughs) That could
0: work. Once you get used to that, try breathing fire a little bit at a time. The only times you've done it were when you were surprised by a sneeze, so some of your fear might just be from not knowing when it's going to happen or how much fire there's going to be. If you practice on your own terms after getting used to the feeling, it won't be as scary.
3: It'll still be scary, probably, but yeah, I think I can try that.
0: I know you can. And I think you do too. Mind over fire.
3: Mind over fire. Mind over fire. Yeah. Yeah, I could do it.
0: Yes! Well, thanks for calling, Nissel, and happy birthday!
3: Thanks, Lisfira. Thanks a lot. Goodbye!
0: Bye! I need to remember to send that birthday card. I should send a present, too. I want to get a teenage dragon for their birthday. Maybe, maybe like a a cool rock. Like a, like a sparkly, a sparkly rock. No, no. I'll think it over more. Oh, here's our next caller. Hello, caller, you're on the air.
1: Uh, Hello, uh... Lesphera was it?
0: Yep, that's me. You're live on Dear Lesphera
1: Right, right. Uh, a friend of mine said you're good at giving advice.
0: Well, I certainly try my best. What's your name? And what can I help you with?
1: My name is Thrallri. I'm a spider. A giant spider, not one of those little fellows. My current day job is in trap creation. I work freelance for anyone looking to trick out a dungeon or underground cavern with webbing.
0: Interesting. Why do people usually require that specific service?
1: Oh, you know, to trap any thieves looking to steal a... a cursed gem, let's say, or whatever else people tend to hide in dungeons or underground caverns these days. I mean, listen, pits with spikes at the bottom are great, as are swinging axes or, well, you know, snakes, but nothing tops the terror of getting trapped in a spider's web and not knowing what's coming next.
0: And are you usually there with the web when the thieves show up?
1: Oh, goodness, no. I just construct the webs. It's up to the client whether they want to hire another web spinner to, uh, deal with the thieves. Or, say, construct a dungeon so the walls begin closing in on the thieves as they're trapped in the web.
0: And these clients? I mean, I'm sure there's some level of confidentiality you have to keep, but are these people usually...
1: Oh, they're almost exclusively terrible people. Yes, I mean, you don't meet many good Samaritans in possession of cursed gems, much less ones who want to hide those cursed gems behind a series of deadly traps.
0: Well, I don't know. I guess it could make sense for a person to want to keep a cursed gem out of the wrong hands by hiding it behind a bunch of traps.
1: Sure, I suppose that's one way to look at it. I can say from experience, though, that often the traps are more intended to lure in reckless adventurers looking for a challenge than to discourage them from staying out.
0: Ah, got it.
1: But anyway, that's why I've called for advice. I've been in this business for a while, but it's not really my passion.
0: What's your passion?
1: It's my dream to one day be an architect.
0: Oh, wow, that's very cool.
1: I've been working toward it for years now. Lately, I've started drawing up plans for buildings and pitching them to different villages and towns. But I'm still waiting for someone to take a chance on me.
0: Hmm. Well, would you like to practice one of your pitches with me? Maybe from that, we can figure out why you're not getting hired.
1: Sure, sure. I can give you a pitch. Let me just look through my plans and find a good one. Ah, this is a good one. It's for a library.
0: Oh, I love libraries. Great. Why don't you give me the pitch?
1: All right. You're in the mood for a good book. So what do you do? You stroll over to your local library in search of an interesting tome. As you approach the library, you see the bridge across the moat is collapsed into the Crocodonda-infested waters. You pull a coil of rope out of your pack and toss it around the branch of a tree that hangs over the moat. You swing over its waters, the Crocodonda snapping at your heels, and land deftly on the other side.
0: Okay, can I stop you there?
1: Well, there's more, but sure, we can pause for notes. Whatever questions you have might be answered later in the pitch, though.
0: No, no, it's nothing like that. Um, I'm just thinking, some people might not really be into the idea of having to risk life and limb to enter a library.
1: Are you referencing the Crocodondas?
0: And the swinging, and the moat. Yeah, all of it. Everything you just said. Seems kind of dangerous. Right. But just a little note. Why don't you keep going?
1: Well, now I'm self-conscious.
0: No, don't be. Please, continue.
1: Okay. <clears throat> you have reached the doors of the library. You pull the doors open. Spikes drop down from the doorway. You dive through as the spikes slam down behind you. Now you are inside the library. You look for the non-fiction section. A sign points you to the second floor. As you climb the steps, you notice that every third step seems to shimmer strangely in the light. You drop a pebble onto one of these steps, and, sure enough, the stair is an illusion. And you watch as the pebble disappears into darkness. After a moment, a screech rings out from below the stairs, and you can only imagine the terrible creature that lurks beneath.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop you here again. But I haven't even
1: gotten to the shelves yet! You need to be careful which books you pull out because some of them trigger a trap door that will drop you into a wonderful mess of webs!
0: Fauri! You've designed a dungeon! I'm sorry? It's a great design, but not for a library. It sounds like you've been working in dungeons for so long that you've become really good at designing them. Maybe you should think about becoming a dungeon architect. Hmm. Interesting. It's just, you know, when I go to the library... I'm not paying much attention to any potential false steps or trapdoors. I usually just go to get a book or return a book. Well,
1: actually, when you put a book into the book drop at this library, bear bats fly out and attack you.
0: Right. Do you see how maybe that's not the best experience for a library user?
1: I suppose, yes, I see where you're coming from. A dungeon architect, huh? I'm not opposed to that idea.
0: Fantastic! And like I said before, I'm sure there are many good people who are looking to protect things behind a ton of traps, not just the bad people with cursed gems.
1: Oh, I'm not really concerned about that. I'm very morally gray.
0: Well, I'm sure it'll be all the easier to find clients that way. Then, I guess.
1: I like this idea. I'd have to remove a few book-related traps from the plans,
0: but... Well, hey, maybe that can be your hook.
1: I don't know. Uh, Hooks are a little old school, but I guess I could add a couple of big pointy ones.
0: Uh, No, I mean your specialty, your niche. Theme dungeons. You can design uh, a library-themed dungeons, school-themed dungeons. Hook-themed
1: dungeons.
0: I don't really know if that's a theme, but...
1: Yeah, no, I, I understand, yes. I like it. I'll start pitching these designs to people looking to build
0: dungeons. Frawlry's Fantastic Dungeons has a nice ring to it.
1: Thank you very much, Lysphira. And in your honor, I'm going to design a radio station-themed dungeon and call it Lysphira's Lair.
0: What an honor! Thank you! And thanks for calling in. Goodbye! Bye! Well, hey, if you're listening to this and are in need of a dungeon, reach out to Frawlery. Preferably if you need one for on-the-level reasons. Whatever those might be. And Reuven's giving me the signal that either means it's time to wrap up the show... Or there's a giant boulder barreling toward the radio station. Either way, it's time for me to get out of here. Thank you very much for listening to Dear Lisphera. Next up we have... Two squirrels chasing each other around a tree for an hour and a half. Are they playing? Are they fighting? We sure don't know. I hope to talk to you all again real soon. But in the meantime, keep your chin up and... Don't go looking for cursed gems. Probably not the best idea. Only trouble there. Bye!
3: Thank you for listening to Dear Lesphera, which was created, written, and edited by Katie Siegel. Lesphera was voiced by Katie Siegel. The voices in the sponsor spot were supplied by Frankie Marone, Amanda Sankowitz, and Katie Siegel. Nissel was voiced by Emily Reinecke. Feral Re was voiced by Oren Merhoff. And I'm Nicole. Hi! If you could leave a kind review for this podcast, you can do so on the Apple Podcasts app. If you do, Katie will journey through a trap-filled dungeon to retrieve a cursed gem for you. We have Deerless Fira merch. Check it out at teespring.com slash stores slash KatieFliesAway. For more Deerless Fira, check out at Deerless Fira on TikTok. You can also follow at on Twitter and Instagram. Or don't. Live your life. Bye!